0: fresh eyes go around don't keep looking at the same thing again and say oh that's okay say is it compliant with what needs to be
1: i think the important thing is to realize the seriousness of that man overboard and get hold of the emergency services press your dsc
2: put your mayday out good day to you all welcome to the fathom podcast it's chris ranford here fathom co-host dialing in from the far west of Cornwall, overlooking Newlyn Harbour. And as we roll into late summer, we're starting to keep one eye on the horizon as seasons, weather and sea conditions begin to change. Certainly not wishing away any late summer sunshine, but at Fathom, we felt this is a good time to get back to the safety conversation. And we pick up with our safety experts, Roger G from the MCA and Clive Palfrey from Seafood Cornwall Training. This episode is part of an extended conversation that took place between Roger and Clive earlier this year, and we joined it where we left off in episode three, which explored the MCA letter that went out to all fishing vessel owners, and we checked in on things like ILO 188, PFDs, and much, much more. This time, though, we delve into the details of MCA inspections, paperwork requirements, risk assessments, as well as other issues such as man overboard recovery and cold water shock. As always, Fathom is here to shine a light on what is happening in and around the fishing industry. It's certainly not telling anyone what to do, but through keeping safety as part of the regular conversation, it aims to ensure everyone is up to date with what is required and what support is out there. So thanks as always to Roger and Clive for getting under the surface of all things safety and fishing. And let's pick up where we left off earlier this summer.
1: Obviously, the MCA are making changes to the way they work with, are they calling it
0: spot checks? I'm not sure, but how's that going to affect the fishermen? Spot checks, that's just a different terminology to something that I think we've been doing for a long, long time, but probably people haven't been aware of it. We've called it inspections, general inspections, targeted inspections. We've done it an awful lot on domestic passenger vessels. And again, for your awareness, we do it an awful lot on foreign flagged Merchant vessels, so I don't think you should regard this as uh, anything particularly new. Uh, we used to do it in the fishing world a lot more than we have done. Probably more recently, we've tended to concentrate on, you know, the, the required surveys and inspections. But I think we've already touched on why. You know, we all work together. You know, the MCA works with the fishermen, the fishing owners, to get the vessels to a standard every five, two and a half, or one year, depending on which vessel you've got, and we get to a standard, and then of course. We let go of the ropes, as I said earlier. And and for whatever reason, the vessel standard drops. Not in every case. Not in every case. There is an awful lot of good vessels out there, but in a number of cases. And I'll, I'll give you a few figures a bit later on. But let me just tell you, from my point of view, how that works. So I'm given the authority by the Secretary of State. I have to follow what the Secretary of State says. And that is, if your vessel is compliant, and I mean now with the code, the code of practice, I have to, by law, I have to give you a certificate. That's what it says. But of course, the converse of that is, if the vessel is no longer compliant, for whatever reason, then the vessel shall not have a certificate. So you can see now, it's really important that when we see you at your five-year inspection or survey or whatever it is... And you let go of the lines, that vessel needs to stay in compliance with the code of practice. We won't ask for anything more than is already written in the code of practice. We're not gold plating. If it's in the code of practice, we have to ask you to ensure that the vessel continues to meet that. If something breaks, as we said, you need to fix it. So, as far as I'm concerned, I don't see that there's anything strange happening. Yes, maybe the frequency of inspections will increase, but it's business as normal. Go to sea come back safely, fix what's broken, keep it to the standard, go back out to sea and carry on. If you are requested to have uh, an inspection, it will be an inspection, a general inspection to ensure that your vessel is being kept to the same sort of standard. So look around. It's, it's what you were saying earlier, Clive. Fresh eyes, go around, don't keep looking at the same thing again and say, oh, that's okay. Say, is it compliant with what needs to be? You know, If the, your life boys are faded, if the name is worn off if the uh, life raft is about to expire hydrostatic release get it done you know don't wait for it to go by do it before it finishes okay really important
1: so if i'm a fisherman you rock up on my key and you're going to give me a general inspection out of the blue what, what can we split it into three categories maybe um paperwork life-saving equipment and maybe the general
0: condition of the boat would that would that be fair Yeah, I I think so. I mean, we've all been through it many, many times, but you're exactly right. What is your evidence to be at sea? Well, there's two bits of paper on most fishing boats. One's a certificate of registry, and the other would be a fishing vessel certificate. That's the authorization to allow you to be at sea. If you haven't got that, it's a bit like me um, stopping your car on the road and you're not taxed, or you haven't got your insurance, or you haven't got your driver's license, yeah you shouldn't be there should you so it's the same for the fishing boat so please make sure you've got those those documents now on a small boat open boat very wet i think all the people in the mca are pretty reasonable we don't expect you to be soaking your certificate of registry but perhaps think of putting it as a pdf on your phone that's a good halfway house isn't it same for your fishing vessel certificate if you're in a boat that's likely to get wet uh, no storage put it on your phone as a PDF. That at least goes quite a long way to ensuring that your vessel is, is supposed to be at sea. Crew qualifications, again, i hope put those on your phone these days. So that's your paperwork. Now, on a larger boat where, I, I mean, you've probably got a bit of a wheelhouse and something a bit more, we're looking for a, probably a little bit more in the way of paperwork as well. So basic risk assessment might be a good idea. Your justification for not wearing a life jacket, if that's what you've chosen to do, it should be written down. So Clive, I'm I'm agreeing with you. Keep your paperwork up to date or put it electronically. Make sure it's in order at home or somewhere. So I'm not going to
1: talk too much about rule. Like I don't want the hard fat rule on this, but are
0: we expecting everybody to have a risk assessment? Is that what we would like? Everybody should have undertaken a risk assessment, no matter what the vessel is. Now, it can be demonstrated in a number of ways. But what I would say is the law says that you need to make sure that it's been understood by your crew. So somewhere on the vessel, in your catch book, you need to make sure that your crew has signed and dated the fact that they have understood the risk assessment you've given them. I
1: think that's really important. You know, there's lots and lots of small boats in in this neck of the woods. Sometimes that becomes uh, something I hear, you know, quite a lot. Do I or don't I need a risk assessment? So what we're saying is, yes, we need something, If especially if we've got a crew, yeah? That's really important that the crew understands the risks and the way he's going to understand those risks is if they're written down somewhere.
0: Exactly. I, I would say the, the written down part becomes even more important where the owner is not on the boat, i.e. he's given the boat to somebody else to run. It's even more important where communication on the boat becomes difficult. I, it's a slightly bigger boat. It's a complex boat. How do you know what the guy's doing if you can't see them? You know, so the whole business of making sure they're trained, making sure that you've explained what they need to do becomes even more important. I would completely agree with what you've said just there.
1: And one of the really, really big, important bits, and we've touched on this throughout this episode and others, is the man-over implications with with fishing gear. and, And we need to demonstrate in our risk assessment if we're going to write one, what we need to put in there is where are the risks of man overboard and what are we doing to prevent that? Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So the MCA have been quite uh, prescriptive in the past uh, in terms of you need, obviously, the risk assessment for man overboard uh, and you need some equipment. Actually, we need to go a little bit further than that. And that is, you know, fishing vessels uh, operate in what we call several different modes of, of activity. OK, so th- they leave the port and they go to the fishing grounds. Um, that's one mode. You know, the gear's not out. It's, it's making good speed. You're a boat, aren't you? You know, that's it at the end of the day. Man overboard, you can get that boat swiftly round, throw a life ring over, hit DSC if need be. And if you've got a, a cradle or whatever your man overboard equipment is, you can deploy it. The next mode of fishing is starting to deploy that gear. So we've got the gear alongside or maybe partway down. It's not on the seabed, but it's in use. We've now hampered, aren't we? We've got a bit more about it, so our risk assessment needs to look at well, what do we do now? You know, where is the cradle if that's what you're going to recover him with? Can I move the boat reasonably well? And actually, probably yes, you can. But we need to do something with the gear before we probably get the, the concentrate on the on the man overboard. Now, the, the next mode of the, the operation is actually with the gear deployed. So we've got the gear on the bed. We're dragging it at four knots and we've got somebody overboard. We've got a whole different scenario now. I can't move the boat rapidly. Maybe I can. Every boat's different. It depends obviously on the type of fishing you do. So I can't give an answer as to what the right or wrong way is but it needs to be considered and I'm going to put a figure on it now I'm not an expert in man overboard but there is an expert that we look to and and uh, he's based in Portsmouth University he's done loads and loads of work on cold water shock and and survivability if I was to say you know three to five minutes six minutes if we can't get somebody back on board in that time we're in a really really desperate place I mean Ideally, he shouldn't go overboard anyway, but you lose the sense of your fingers. You can't hold on to things. We've got to have a system that can whip somebody out of the water that quickly. So if we start working on those sort of timelines, my goodness, that changes our risk assessment enormously. What do we do with a fully deployed gear, let's say a beam trawler, stern trawler, and we've got a man overboard situation? we can't leave the guy there for 45 minutes while we're pulling the gear up and bring the boat back around so ideally we don't get him overboard in the first place that's the that's the first thing but uh, the second point is you've really got to consider what do we do when he does i think it's really important that fishermen realize
1: how, how dangerous a situation that is when it does happen and it does happen and 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 it will happen you know um there are all these safety equipment on cars, and we talked about it in on. but we still crash cars. So with all the best will in the world, there'll always be man overboards. I think the important thing is to realise the seriousness of that man overboard and get hold of the emergency services, press your DSC, put your Mayday out. Statistically, most fishermen that go over the side of the boat are going to get rescued by the emergency services. You can't haul, especially a large vessel, cannot haul his gear, turn around, and like you say, pick somebody up in three or four minutes. So what's really important is to you know, tell the emergency services the situation, um, carry on trying to recover that guy. And to be honest, even if you get him aboard your boat yourself with, without the use of the emergency services, he probably still needs to go to hospital. So they're probably still going to need to come to your vessel and take him off by helicopter or lifeboat or whatever, because he, he probably needs to be checked over in hospital anyway if he's been in the water for any length of time. So I think it's important that we do that right at the start of that, you know, that we realise that this could go really wrong. It's gone wrong, he's in the water, don't get me wrong. But to get on that DSC button or put out a mayday is really important that that's one of the first things you do. And and that brings all that time of of rescue and getting that guy to hospital right down. You know, you're going
0: to save a lot of time. Clive, the MCA, the Coast Guard, the RNLI will never criticise anybody for having hit the DSC button, we just don't do that, you know. Uh, what What's a Mayday? A Mayday is where you perceive there's an imminent risk to life. If somebody's in the water and they're meant to be on the boat, that's an imminent risk. So just do it, hit it, get all the assets out there. Even if they all turn back, you're not going to be charged for it. Nobody's going to say anything else about it. You've got the person back. That's absolutely fine. If you haven't got him back, as you've just said, Clive, and it's rescued by the emergency services at least they're on the way yeah yeah I think that's really
1: important that fishermen realize that you know it it doesn't get any more serious than the man in the water does it so we just need to act professional at the time and and get him the care that he needs as quick as
0: possible I think it's really worth just saying the DSC is only as good as the rest of the units it's linked to you know the DSC is the radio part of it isn't it that uh, sends out the message but it needs some other bits with it as well And that's its MMSI number. So that's your ship's identity or your vessel's identity. And you need something else. And that's the GPS identity. You know, where on earth are you? Why does that make a difference? Because you cut your search area of where the signal comes down to from something like 10 or 20 square miles to within a matter of meters. That's why it's so, so important. There's another beauty about it as well you're on a shorthanded boat, maybe you're the only person left on board and the other guy's in the water, the DSC button will keep on bleeping, the Coast Guard will respond, the Coast Guard will know where that signal's coming from, even if you then don't pick up the microphone because you have either had to leave the wheelhouse or you're turning the vessel around or, or whatever else. So whilst that is happening, the emergency services are being alerted. Cuts down an awful lot of time and it cuts down a lot of stress for the the owner or the skipper who happens to be dealing with the the, the situation on board.
1: You know, it's really important that, the, that we that the guys know the process of that. That goes all the way back to your general inspection and you guys asking the correct MMSI number is in the radio. Loads of fishermen don't really really understand exactly why why is that so important, but it's really important. I believe it's linked to the Ofcom license as well, which has got
0: your um, personal and emergency details on. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, we do check this at inspections, but of course equipment gets changed out in, you know, once in 5 years probably. You probably also move home. So you've now got a different address attached to that license. The license is not for the MCA. This is a, uh, a part of our search and rescue activities. So when that MMSI number is alerted, exactly the same as your EPIRB or your PLB registry, it is assigned to an individual at an address. And we had a case not so long ago, uh, again, uh, probably a month ago, when an old EPIRB started to go off in the middle of the English Channel. It was no longer registered to the particular boat because the boat had got a new EPIRB on it. Now, for whatever reason, the old EPIRB went off. What was the Coast Guard able to do? They were able to contact the address. They were able to verify that it wasn't actually on that vessel. They were actually able to check the next of kin and they were able to deploy the assets uh, accordingly to check that that vessel wasn't actually in danger or was in danger and, and, and respond accordingly. None of that could have happened if those details hadn't been kept up to date. Really important. Make sure that you've kept your Ofcom license up to date. It's free. It's free for the life of the vessel, for the life of you.
1: And they're really easy to um, to get hold of and work with for um, Ofcom. I've done loads of stuff with Ofcom that, that you have your own account. That you can enter via an email or a password and if you've got any problems you pick your phone up they answer it straight away they don't even seem to want to keep you in one of these queues for half an hour like everybody else does it's a really straightforward method and and they're really really helpful the hint has been taken clive thanks very
2: much
1: (laughs) (laughs) fathom was brought to you by the cornish fish producers organization with support from seafarers UK.